for the Indians. One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's Nobody's Listening Anyway. Here are your hosts, John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. So do you remember the, the church lady from Saturday Night Live? Yeah, Dana Carvey. Dana Carvey, the greatest Saturday Night Live character ever. Yes, I, I, I feel like reading your latest tweets that I have to, that I have to inject and channel my inner church lady and go, oh, SDSU head coach John Stiegelmeyer says on at Hot Mike WDAY that standout tight end Tucker Kraft will warm up Saturday. Well, isn't that sp- how convenient? <laughs> Tucker Kraft's been injured since the Iowa game, and all of a sudden he's ready for North Dakota State. Uh, so, yeah, that's, and speaking of Saturday Night Live, we sound like not ready for primetime players with the audio. Usually excellent, high end, the best, terrific audio. Calm down. Best in the world. Uh, but uh, today is not the case. We'll, we'll acknowledge that right off the top and, and move on. You can hear us. I think you can hear us. I, we can hear each other. So we're I'm okay. sure it'll be fine. Any other input from that from that point of view? No. Okay. How, how the heck are you on uh Dakota Marker Week. This is—I mean, this is a great week to be alive and to be in the in the sports media, to be a sports fan up here. Yeah, I'm uh, <laughs> looking you, forward to the game. As you rub your eyes and yawn. I've had a shitty week. My okay. Nothing to do with anything else. Okay. Well, I guess this is not for that. So. Well, it started. I don't know if you saw my fucking toilet exploded on Sunday I saw night. That. Yeah, and, I forgot uh, about it, so but I saw it. I'm already broke, so that that was that was nice to. I didn't know that was a thing that could yeah. happen, that your toilet could just fall apart. It, it, I've never uh, heard it or seen it happen to anybody. Let me warn you, be careful with your toilet. I mean, it is made out of porcelain. Yeah. So for those who don't know, I was sitting on my toilet, and it was like 1 o'clock in the morning, Sunday night, Jen sound asleep. I just leaned back a little bit, and my back pushed against the lid, which pushed against the tank. And the tank shattered into like eight pieces on the floor. Water everywhere, shattered toilet. I, you know, Jen and I run around screaming like chickens with their heads cut off. Like, what do you, do? And, you know, turned the water off, called the plumber, got a new toilet. 500 bucks later, yeah, awesome. The question I get, only 500. Yeah, yeah, we were both, we both I mean, thought it could have been, yeah, yeah that's, we're like, how many thousands of dollars? Could have zero to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, I, I'm going to ask a question everyone's thinking, but no one really wants to know the answer to, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So was it clean water, or was there some, you know? <laughs> it, well, it was the water from the tank, not yeah, the water from the inside of the bowl. It wasn't like... But uh, I did, the toilet had been successfully flushed. It hadn't been wastewater. No, it was that's, just the water from inside the tank. That's the worst when you get a clogged toilet and it yeah, overflows. No, that, that Oh, well, that's good. So you only had water to clean up, not waste. Some of it, though, like, seeped through the ceiling downstairs. I mean, there was a lot oh, of it. So man. we're lucky we didn't have any, like, you know, drywall damage or anything. I managed to get it. Yeah. The water turned off, and the water soaked up quick enough that I don't think we had any permanent damage. But it was running down into the... Our bathrooms, our downstairs bathroom is directly below the yeah. upstairs bathroom. So I go downstairs, and there was, you know, water on the floor down there, yeah. water running down the walls. It was... It was a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, by the way, I may have missed this. So it got repaired, or you had to get a new toilet. I had to get a new toilet. Okay. A new toilets are only five hundred dollars. Well, actually, they're only like two hundred. But then, put with the ex- 
uh, you know, installation and labor and whatnot. What's going on with the toilet industry? It's they funny. Need to, it's funny. To, yeah, that you say be, that. And then I was in Lowe's the next get, day for something else. I was trying to fix. We have a sink that isn't working very well. And I'm Mr. Handyman, of course. Yeah. I'm in Lowe's, and they had a toilet at Lowe's for like $75. Wow. Like you could just buy a full-size toilet for 75 bucks. I'm assuming that means it's crappy and probably, I don't, you know. Literally. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what, what differentiates the good toilets between the bad ones. Wow. But I, I've had the same thing. I, you know, some appliances are so expensive. You know, a dishwasher is 1000 bucks. Refrigerator is 1500 bucks. You know, it's toilet, $75. You can, you, can, what was this? Okay, you can get by without a dishwasher. You could even maybe for at least a week get by without a refrigerator find a way to like a toilet you would just figure it's so much more essential to life right that it it's would, funny too because jen was like be more expensive jen was like oh it's such a good thing we have two toilets you know we would have had to go stay in a hotel and she was serious because i was like no we wouldn't have and she was like yes we would have and then it was kind of a little bit of a you know because i was like i just i'll just say i was like i can go wait till it gets dark and go pee in the backyard yeah i can pee in the shower <laughs> like yes. i'm not gonna go yeah. spend a night in a hotel no because we don't have a toilet but jen was like i would so you'd be happy we have another toilet okay like, right well right, you should because i because i live in a house with just one toilet and that now now you've really struck the fear in me yeah. there are times when uh it has a, it when the rare times where it doesn't work it's clogged or needs fixing or whatever that I that there, there's a convenience store two or three blocks down the street, <laughs> and I well and it's and, and it's it's conveniently has a back door to its bathroom, so like you don't have to even no one yeah. knows you go yeah. in. You just go yeah. in and you can even lock it. It's yeah, or you know if you have a gym membership or <laughs> yeah, or you do it at the office, that uh, kind of thing. I mean, it can be worked around. Well, but. yeah, yeah, that's if you're a city slicker in Sioux Falls like right. you. If you're in a small town, yeah, no, she was serious. Options. She was like, well, I would be in a hotel right now. If we didn't uh, have another toilet. Yeah, okay, well, well, good, but but she slummed it and marched down marched and up downstairs, the stairs yeah. to use the bathroom. Well, toilets are breaking, computer audio hookup not working, our chick our birds' heads are falling off. Uh, we're somehow going to muscle through this. Um, all right, so I mean, since uh, we're already just two days from the big game, I do want to I do want to recap and make what we make of of the Jackrabbit Coyote game, although that was wildly disappointing. I mean, wildly disappointing. So there's there's not much to say, actually, but we'll say things. The, Tucker Craft, uh, warm, uh, said he, what was the deal? He's going to war, what's the latest? He will warm up Saturday. If he gives the thumbs up, he's going to go. Doctors have told us he can't hurt it any worse. Uh, in regards to this ankle injury for Tucker Craft, tight end, All-American, future potential first-round draft pick, X-Factor. So, what, I mean, what do you make of that statement? I don't know. On Don Izzo's um, show. I kind of don't think he's going to play. That's been the sense I've been getting. But these things are really fluid, you know. it's <clears throat> If Tucker Craft had told me on Monday I'm not playing, and he didn't, but if he had, that wouldn't necessarily mean he's not playing. You know, mm-hmm. things can change in the course of, course of the week. You know, a doctor tells you you're okay, or all of a sudden, you know, you... You feel better, you know, you, yeah. you, whatever it is. And, and that's the big thing, you know, you get in a lot of these situations. It's like, what's your pain tolerance versus can you further injure it, aggravate it, whatever. My money just says, I don't, I don't think he's going to play. But I wouldn't be surprised if he does. If you're North Dakota State, you kind of have to prepare as though he's going to. And I think that could be partly what Stig's doing, is trying to force them to <laughs> devote that practice time to preparing for a player who may not even end up playing. Uh, we saw last week Landon Wolf was in uniform warming up before the game. I tweeted, oh, looks like he's playing. Then he went back inside and took off his pads and was in street clothes again. So he must have 
kind of done the same thing, warmed up and yep. decided he wasn't good to go. We'll see. I mean, I know Tucker wants to play. You know, this could be his last chance to play against North Dakota State, his last Dakota Marker game, you know, if, if, depending on how things shake out. So, I don't know. I can't, you know, if someone's listening to this hoping to, to get a definitive answer, I can't uh, give it to him. But my money is that he's on that he's not going to play, but I wouldn't be surprised if he does. And if he does play, well, first of all, we can't forecast uh, how close to 100% he's going to be, mm-hmm. how, how effective that how would make him, how much they could use him, yeah. and, and how much they're going to use him. But let's just say 50%. He's going to be in on most of the offensive plays he would normally be in on uh, and might be able to get down the field and at least be the big target that can get him some short yardage uh, on easy quick passes. Mm-hmm. How much of a difference does that make? Well, it's hard to say because they haven't had him all year. You know, I mean, he basically got hurt on the first play of the season, practically. And, you know, we saw what an effective player he was last year. Um, You know, their leading receiver and and an All-American tight end and, you know, had a big game against North Dakota State. And we saw the trick play, the the touchdown pass he caught from Pierre Strong. Um, But there were all indications that this year was going to be different, that he was going to be even more of a focal point of the offense. Um, We speculated and got a little bit of confirmation from the players and coaches that part of the reason the offense got off to a slow start was because they had to throw out so much of their playbook that had been built around Tucker Kraft. Now, who knows? Again, Uh, it makes total sense. Let's, but let's, you know, let's say he does play. If he does, it's not like, oh, now we're going back to the Tucker Kraft playbook because, like you said, even if he does play, he's not 100%. We don't know how much they're going to use him. Um, But this offense very quietly has started playing pretty well without him. You know, Zach Hines is a good tight end. Mike Morgan has, doesn't get the ball very much, but he's a good player, a, a valuable piece of that offense. Isaiah Davis has had, you know, three, four really good games in a row. The offensive line's improving. The Yankee twins are playing very well. We talked about Landon Wolf potentially coming back. I mean, all of that could be a factor. And if you got Tucker Craft, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, he, he's a great player. He's pro- if, if he's there, and I mean, if he's 100%, he's probably the best player on the, on the field. If he's not 100%, you know, I don't know how that impacts it, but he's going to make a difference. He's going to be one of those guys that defense is going to have to know where he's at at all times and all those cliches, but it's it's not just that. It's also, and I've talked about this before, I, I, don't, I know I don't think you've met Tucker, um, but his personality, he's yeah. a, a larger-than-life kind of guy. Um, he's <laughs> probably the most confident, dare I say cockiest player I've, I've ever met, and I mean that in a good way. I'm not criticizing him. He is just... He carries himself with a ton of swagger, and uh, I think if he's in the lineup, um, even if he you know isn't being used that much, even if he's only only on the field for a few plays, yeah. I think just having that presence could be a shot in the arm to the to the Jacks in their offense. Mm. Yeah, well, that's the other deal. So let's just go to let's say he doesn't play; he's not there at all. You've mentioned it's it's picking up slowly but surely without him, uh, and you know in in recent weeks leading up to. Saturday against USD, it was this is still not as explosive of an offense as we expect it to be. I think we some of us conveniently forgot Tucker Craft isn't in that. How much more explosive it could be, not just because of him, but because of you know there's how he affects the other guys, of course, um, which leads to fewer big plays. Now Isaiah Davis did have Isaiah Davis did have that big run. Uh, which uh, may, reminded everybody immediately on Twitter of Frisco. His, in Frisco, the national championship game, Sam Houston State. It's okay, so Isaiah's got that, and he could get that against NDSU. Uh, but, but where else is that kind of quote-unquote explosion going to come from? And at the same time, SDSU has done perfectly well without being that explosive. Mm-hmm. 
and I don't and I don't really take into account <laughs> the second half of the USD game because it didn't feel like the Coyotes were really there. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, I mean, the Coyotes weren't really trying on offense to get back into the game as much as they should have at any point. And therefore, it felt like the Jackrabbits, therefore... Kind, kind of, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It was just it was just a sleeper of a second half mm-hmm. uh, to the point where SDSU... You can't judge anything SDSU did after the first half. Well, really you the can entire, judge that 15-play, 8-minute drive that took up the sure, entire third quarter. Where they were just um, trying to that do that was big boy football. And yes. That, was, you know, that ended the football game. That's right fair. Yeah. They were doing basic things, and so, yeah, so they've proven they can do basic things and win that yeah, way. And... Uh, uh, Amar Johnson had more of the carries on that drive than Isaiah Davis did. Mm. I mean, it was largely their backup running back just right. get five yards a pop, you know, putting them to sleep. So say, I don't think there's any way you can't say Tucker Craft playing even approximately 50% wouldn't give the Jackrabbits a slightly better chance to win in a game we expect to be close, goes down to some big plays, you know, big, big gamers rise to the occasion and somehow show up pain pain and all uh, so I, I do I do think you'd say he, him being in there of course gives them a better chance to win and, and could could be a big part of winning I, I think back to 2016 when obviously it's nip and tuck the whole way SDSU dominates the whole game in Fargo but you know doesn't score in the red zone three times yeah. but at the end of the game but a couple different plays in the game Dallas Goddard made a huge difference and so did Jake Winnicky on the game winning touchdown with mm-hmm. one second left so Kraft gives them a better chance to win. But if they don't have Kraft, I mean, how much less of a chance does that give them to win? And then we can get into the fact that, uh, you know, that uh, that it feels like NDSU fans slash media have a feeling that um, that the Jacks are the favorite in this game. But say it's but say no Tucker. Uh, I don't think it's... Like I said, they've been playing without him all year. Yeah. I mean, they have essentially been a Tucker-Kraft-less football team uh, from, the get, from the jump. And, you know, I think the Iowa game, you just kind of throw it out for a variety of reasons. Since then, they've, they've been pretty good, and I think they've been steadily better each week than they were the week before. So, yeah, I mean, I just hesitate to ever throw shade at North Dakota State or doubt them or say the Bison are down or whatever because yeah. um, they just find a way to win. And, you know, they are 45-1 and one in their last 46 games at the Fargo Dome. They're the defending national champions. Okay, they're giving up more rushing yards than they usually do. And Cam Miller isn't as good as Trey Lance and Carson Wentz and whatever. All those things can be true. They're still the number one team. They're still the defending national champions. And North Dakota State has, you know, we've always, we always talk about what's the difference between NDSU and SDSU. They're so close when they play each other. SDSU wins half the time. So if they're that evenly matched, how come NDSU always wins the national championship and SDSU never has? It's because NDSU has that extra little it factor, or whatever you want to call it, where they don't they don't lose those those other games. They don't blow a twenty point lead to Southern Illinois. They don't lose at homecoming to Northern Iowa. They don't go eight and three. They don't go nine and two. At worst, they go ten and one. You know, they either go eleven and zero or ten and one every year. And that isn't just because of how talented they are. Because like you said, most years, I think SDSU's right there with them. Mm -hmm. But NDSU, whether you want to say it's like they know how to win or some sort of cliche, they just, you know, they have a formula. They have a culture. It's very similar to what USF had in the NAIA days. You know, when they beat North Dakota, that huge upset, 2009, it was like, oh my God, how did this happen? How could an NAIA team win this game against a Division I team? 
And the thing I told people was, because they don't know any better, you know? They're just so used to winning that they just win. You know, their, their slogan is, winners win. And that's stupid, but it's true. <laughs> and uh, I've always wanted to know what you thought of that slogan. It, it, it's dumb, but it makes sense. That's... And North Dakota State's the exact same way. They just, they just win. And, you know, I don't, I don't think it's wrong necessarily to say SDSU maybe is the favorite this, this year. Um, I picked them to win on the show with Zach the other day. So I think I'm going ahead and saying I think the Jacks are going to win because I just think they're playing really well right now. Their defense is so good, and I do think SDSU – more than any other team knows how to play in the Fargo Dome. Yes. They've, I mean, they've had as much success there as anyone. But the idea that it's like a foregone conclusion or that the Jacks should be heavy favorites or anything, I mean, come on. This is the Bison. 45-1. and one. You know? yep. I mean, let's not... Come on. They deserve... They've won nine national championships. Nine in 11, 12 years, whatever it is. Yeah, that, that's worth something. Yeah, and I usually expect them to win and win this game in the Fargo Dome, even though SDSU won there in 16 and won there in uh, 2021 spring. Uh, just kind of like the law of averages. Uh, that's one of your favorite terms in sports, mm-hmm. going above the fray of X's and O's and Sometimes everything. Sometimes you just do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's like, do you really think SDSU can win there more than half the time? This would be three of four, right? They win this. This would be three of four in the Fargo Dome. Mm-hmm. I just... Uh, and two in a row. It's no disrespect to South Dakota State at all. It, doesn't, mm-hmm. it just doesn't feel like that is the average. And so if they do pull it off, if they do win, I mean, that will be remarkable that uh, they've won three out of four there. And you mentioned in a story you wrote, came out, I believe, on Wednesday that, uh, I mean, no, no, nobody's won more in the Fargo Domes since, what, NDSU became a Division One mm-hmm. school than, than SDSU. Which is three times. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, this didn't really start to get to be somewhat of an even rivalry, really, until 2016. Yeah, Yeah, that game, which uh, I was at and I loved, and I wish I could be there Saturday. It changed when Jason Eck became the offensive line coach and when when Jimmy Rogers and Brian Bergstrom took over the defense. That's when it really changed. How and why? Because they got better in the line of scrimmage. I mean, you go back to the early days of this rivalry, the early days of the Bison dynasty, the Jacks had great players. You know, they had Zach Zenner, they had Jason Schneider, they had Austin Sumner, they had Ryan Berry, they had these other guys, Kyle Manette, whatever. Yep, yep. Um, they were nowhere close to where they are today on the offensive and defensive lines. And I don't mean that they had shitty dudes on the offensive and defensive line, but they weren't as elite, they weren't as deep, they weren't as strong across the board on offense, as deep on defense. Couldn't and it was, it, it was obvious, you know, and the Jacks coaches, to their credit, you know, they didn't, like, shy away from saying that. It was very obvious. Like, what do we need to catch up to these guys? Get better up front. Yeah. And when Jason got there, before he even became the coordinator, just the old line coach, you know, he built that offensive line into something that they finally were able to compete with it. And then on the defensive side of it, um, when they got really run out of the building in 2018, um, you could kind of sense that it's time for a change on defense. And I'm not trying to certainly make a scapegoat of Clint Brown, who was a defensive coordinator at the time. He wasn't fired. I mean, he left to take another job. Now, that might have been a somewhat, like, mutual decision. I don't know. Um, but it was obvious at that time, like, hey, this defense needs to change something. And Jimmy and, and Bergie took over. Uh, the defensive line came under the purview of Christian Smith, who's done a tremendous job as their defensive line coach. And I think they recognized, you know, it had been such a struggle for the Jacks to get 
really good defensive linemen, especially on the on the outside. They almost never got any sacks. They usually had a, a good interior lineman or two. You know, they had Cole Langer, Kellen Solit, guys like that. But they really struggled like hell to develop really good pass rushers outside of Danny Batten. And I think they figured out, like, hey, instead of trying to find the superstar, the guy who's going to get 17 sacks in a season, let's get 10 guys who are really good and rotate them all. And that has... That's been the secret. That's been the key. That's why their defense is so good, is their depth on the defensive line. It, it's just been night and day how much better they've been up front in the last, really, three, four years. And you're seeing it right now. They have the number one defense in the country, and that's why. I was astounded as I was watching the Jackrabbit Coyote game on Saturday. It flipped back a couple times to North Dakota State, Indiana State. And what struck me the most was how shitty of a field and stadium Indiana yeah. State has. I yeah. can't believe they're in Division One, uh, but and 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 therefore it's hard to take their football program seriously. Even though they're I realize bad. I know that, yeah. uh, but uh, and, and so then it really shocked me how they took North Dakota State into the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. I mean that was a fourth quarter game, and uh, NDSU just kind of that battleship barging down the sea. They just kind of kept moving and possessing the ball and slow, kind of like they did against USD in the Dakota Dome mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago. They just sl- slowly crushed Indiana State's will and didn't really give the Sycamores a chance to win, even though it seemed like they were in striking distance. Um, and the way SDSU's playing defense, as you've mentioned, the, the way they lack explosion but now possess, at least against a team like USD, the ability to go on long drives on offense uh, without turning it over, uh, does, that, does that mean we should expect a slightly low-scoring game? More of a defensive battle? I think that's probably a safe bet. You know, I mean, SDSU's offense is good. It isn't as great as it has been in some of the last few years. Uh, NDSU's defense is a little more vulnerable than it has been the last, like you said, giving up a lot more rushing yards than we're used to seeing. Um, But then you look at, you know, their quarterback has been pretty good. Not, certainly not special. And this Jack's defense has been special. I mean, it's, USD had what, five first downs? You know, you take away, a couple plays and they barely get a hundred yards in the game. Yeah. I mean, it was, they're just playing at an unbelievable level. And, you know, the Bison, that's a different story and it's in the Fargo Dome. But, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I'd be surprised if either team got to 30, but, you know, in a rivalry game, you never know. Gosh, I mean, and by the way, that doesn't mean it's going to be a bad game. 1917 back in 2016, mm-hmm. that was a, as far as I recall, that was a terrific game. Yep. And should have had more scoring because, again, SDSU went to the red zone three times, didn't score, but they marched down the field and had some big plays, and, boy, that was that was that was a fun game. Is that mm-hmm. the best of it? I mean, you've been covering this team since, what, 2015? So. Yeah. That's the best we've had. Um, and, you know, last year was a fun one. They're all pretty close. They've all been pretty close in good games. The only one that wasn't very good Since was 2016. The, the 2018 playoff game, you know, when that one wasn't great. Same old, same. By the way, do you feel, because you mentioned this could be the only time they play NDSU this year, might be the only time Tucker Craft gets to play against the Bison. I thought about this, and yes, of course, too much of my reference point of my love of college football and of college football topics and what makes the sport flawed but unique compared to a lot of the other sports, especially pro sports and pro football that we love, is rivalries and how the regular season matters more because there's fewer games. Mm -hmm. And in uh, FBS football, uh, still today, but less so because there's a 14 playoff, how the regular season games, for better or for worse, matter even more Mm because they're like the facto playoff games because there hasn't been playoffs. 
Nebraska-Oklahoma used to be a de facto playoff game at the end of the year that would make or break a season, and you lose one game, that's it. Fuck yep. you, you're out of it. Yeah. You, you'll have to get really yep. lucky to Enjoy play for a national... Sugar Bowl. Yeah, yeah, to play for a national... You're out of games. You're out of games to climb back up the pole, basically. Stupid, flawed, mm -hmm. but made, made those games seem that much better. So I have a couple questions along those lines. First of all, do you think it makes these regular season games any less or how much less meaningful because you know both teams are capable of deep playoff runs. I understand this is partly for playoff positioning. Mm -hmm. uh, it goes a long way to get a better position. If SDSU doesn't get those stinker losses, uh, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, And also knowing that they might play each other again because it seems like half the time they play each other again in the playoffs well, anyway. Well, the one thing they do to partly to combat that is the Dakota marker is not at stake in the playoff games so that adds to it a little bit um, but I, you know I think for SDSU <clears throat> excuse me it's always going to be a little bit bigger I don't ever see SDSU going oh this game doesn't mean as much I mean it just means too much to them you know especially when once they were able to possess the marker a couple times and say okay we can we can beat these guys um, and the fact that they haven't won a national championship yet. I mean, they're still, I'm sorry, they're still looking up at NDSU as a program. That team has nine yep. trophies. The Jacks have none. And until the Jacks start to put a dent in that deficit, the nine-nothing deficit in national championships, it's always going to mean something playing these guys, beating these guys, competing for that Dakota marker. From the NDSU side of it, I think at first you heard it a lot from their fans, maybe not as much from the players and coaches, First couple times the Jacks beat them, they'd be like, "Cool, you can have the marker. We'll take the other trophy." Yeah, you know, which makes perfect sense. Um, but I have noticed, I think, in the last couple of years, as some of those players who never lost a game in their life have filtered out of the program, and now these last couple of years, it's been a little bit closer. Uh, I think some of the current Bison players, it means a little bit more. Uh, I talked to Spencer Wagey yesterday, the Watertown kid who's NDSU's stud defensive end, and, and I asked him, you know, like. Is this just another game, or is it? Is a hell no? It's not just another game. It's like this is a big one, you know. He's like, we definitely play this up. The marker means something to us. This is a big, big game. And you know, five years ago, an NDSU senior starting player might not have said that. Mm. Well, I, I I think it feels like it's true as well because they're used to some of their games are getting closer, like Indiana State last week. But still, a lot of their games are blowouts. A lot of games they go into not only knowing they're going to win. But you're feeling like they can dispose of teams rather easily. I mean, the Jacks do too, for a few of them. Sure. You know, Western Illinois was one. And the Jacks are kind of get yeah, the, the Jacks are getting there, for sure. But they've got to be ex they, they've got to be excited that they know they're probably going to play a close game. That this opponent is a lot yeah. tougher than most of the ones they play. That's got to get you jacked up when a lot of the games you play, you know, you don't. Sounds you like you're the suggesting they have a little fatigue from how dominant they've been, and that maybe. The not, Jacks give them a little not necessarily. I'm just I'm looking at straight through the prism of most weeks they know they have better personnel than the other team. Mm -hmm. They should win. They're stronger, and that's got to be fun. But isn't it more fun to have an opponent that sizes up with you pretty well? Yeah. You know, it's yeah, got to make you look more forward to that. It's like again, as a Husker fan growing up, most of those big eight, big eight games were blowout games, and that was fun. But when Oklahoma week got there, your stomach turned and, you, you know, mm -hmm. you, you stressed out, your blood pressure rose, and 
if that's the fans, imagine the coaches and the players to where that's got to be, that makes you feel like you're alive, you know? Mm-hmm. That um, this is probably going to be close. It's going to be really hard. This is going to be nerve-wracking. Shitty things are going to happen. And that's what's going to make it more exciting and sweeter if you win the game. And so then I'll ask, it still happens in college football today where a lot of arch rivals play in their in, in the final week of the season. Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, Auburn, usually uh, that rivalry Saturday. Clemson, South Carolina, teams that uh, are even in different conferences, but they're still big rivals, and they'll still play each other final game of the regular season. Is that something you think should or could enhance this if that happens? Um, it's, it's fun when it is like that. And, you know, SDSU has typically played USD near the end of the season. Um, but I don't know. I kind of like that. I like that it's different. I, I like the idea of changing it up. I don't like the idea of playing NDSU or SDS or USD, whoever, the same, the same week every single year. I don't like that. Mm. You know, if you want to do it that way most of the time, 7 out of 10, 4 out of 5, I'm fine with that. But every single, like when I, when I saw the schedule for this year and saw NDSU and USD back-to-back in October, I was like, cool. That'll be kind of fun. It's different. Now, maybe... I, that might be the minority on that. You know, Stig talked a little bit about, like, yeah, it'd kind of be nice to have those at the end of the year. Um, certainly, it helps from the standpoint of any injuries you have early in the season. It's like, you know, Isaiah Davis goes down last year. It's like, well, hopefully he'll be back by the USD game. He wasn't, as it turned out. Tucker Craft goes down. Hopefully he'll be back by the NDSU game. We're about to find out if he is. Mm-hmm. If that game was at the end of the year, Tucker Craft would be playing it. Yeah. Might be a better game. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of ambivalent on that. I okay. liked this year the way that it played out. All right. Uh, and then there's what's going on. You, you it's, I'm not going to try to blow this thing up any bigger than it is, but uh, obviously you're the Jacks beat writer in Sioux Falls in South Dakota. Mike McFeely's a longtime columnist who still covers sports and writes about the Bison a lot. And uh, you, you, um, you referenced him in one of your articles, then he referenced you in a tweet after he read it, and I'm sure you guys are having a little fun. You seem to be uh, contemporaries. Let's Mike not, and I go back and forth on Twitter, but we also text each other a lot too. So there's yeah, know, some, yeah, sure. And I used to do that a bit with him when some of it's private, some of it's public. Sure, yeah. of course. Yeah. But anyway, this whole um, this whole thing of where does it feel like Matt ends and and then some Bison fans are almost trying to in a weird way medicate themselves by saying that that the Jack Rabbits are the real favorite in this game, which by the way, what's the line right now as we speak? It was Thursday? three and a half North Dakota State. Yeah. And according to Mike, it's now it's moved down to a pickup. Okay. Uh, so and that's in NDSU's world, no matter if you're a player, fan, coach, media, you're not used to that. And you may as well be an underdog. So especially at home. So I don't know. What's your what's your feeling? You wrote about this. What's your feeling on that? Well, like I said, I, I think I'm gonna pick the Jacks to win. I already did on the other show. Like I, I I just think they are playing better right now. And more of what I took exception to, and that's too strong of a phrase, but like yes. Mike was kind of like, well, geez, you know, Jacks are going to pound them. And, you know, he said in his column, you know, it feels like they're going to beat them 35 to 13 or that they could. I don't see that. Um, I get it. He's looking at NDSU and going, geez, they barely beat Indiana State. Their defense has given up a lot more yards than usual. They're turning over the football. Cam Miller doesn't look great. But I told them, I was like, SDSU, with some exceptions, hasn't looked awesome either. You know, it took the offense a while to get going. Defense has been outstanding from the jump. But 
offense has been inconsistent. Special teams has been inconsistent to bad. Um, you know, and again, you're going to Fargo, where they've won 45 of their last 46 okay. games. And I think if you went, if you went back and looked. I could be wrong about this, and I know Mike's going to listen to this, and he'll jump in and tell me if I'm wrong, but I kind of feel like Mike picks SDSU to beat NDSU every year. Um, I think some of it, you know, we joke about how Mike's a little bit, he's always pushing the FBS bandwagon because he's bored with this. I I think his boredom sometimes causes him to uh, favor the Jacks a little bit, like, because there have been a lot of times in the past where he's picked the Jacks and been wrong about it. Um, I, I picked the Jacks my first year on the beat, they got smoked, and I've never picked them to beat NDSU since. And I, I've said that. Like, I learned my lesson. I'm never doing that uh, again. You know, and I've, I've always been wrong a few times. Um, this year, I'm I'm going out on a sturdy limb, and I, I think the Jacks are going to win on the road for the second time in a row. And I kind of feel like by saying that, I'm dooming them to lose. Um, it's all you. Yeah. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. It's all you. It's right, your fault. Right. Yeah. Uh, is, is it okay if I not have a prediction? Sure. Okay, thank you. People uh, always ask me to predict. I, I generally am not. Well, yeah. I'm not, you know. Like, I remember you got when to. Terry was the SCCB writer, he would flat out refuse to make predictions for games. And I got that. I understood where he was coming from. Yeah. Like, what do you have to gain by, by, well, by saying that? I'm know? just not going to pretend I know enough yeah. about either team, and I've seen enough of either team to, to really make a calculated decision on this. I can gar- I can I can take in everything you're telling we me. We both know, I mean if anyone wants to get pissed off about a, a prediction or whatever, you should know that everyone following this game acknowledges they're two very evenly matched yes. teams and it won't be a surprise if either one wins. And whoever wins or loses, it won't be because of what Matt Zimmer or Mike uh, McFeely or John Gaskins wrote or said. Mike is listening to this. Of course, Mike's listening, and it's the one week where the fucking audio is uh, not as tip-top shape as it should be. I, oh, well. We're fine. Oh, well, we're fine. We're at Gateway Lounge. We're drinking beer. Oktoberfest for me. Budweiser for Zim. I did ask... Uh, and by the way, come to the Gateway Lounge if you want to watch this game. You can't go to Fargo. Most of you can. Most of us don't want to go to Fargo, don't want to spend the money. Nothing against Fargo. It's just a trip. And it's dough and it's time. And uh, so a lot of us are going to be watching this game on TV. Why not watch this game at Gateway Lounge? Well, it will be on many of the TVs, plus all the other great college football games that will be going on uh, on Saturday. But my guess is they're going to have sound of this game on. And uh, it's a great place for Jackrabbit fans to go and hunker down and uh, enjoy one of the best rivalries in college football at any level. I would agree with you, you what you wrote. I don't know if you wrote exactly that in your most recent kind of preview big picture article about the rivalry, but uh, it, it's hard to make it better than what this is. It's kind of got an Ohio State Michigan feel, but yeah. at the uh, at the FCS level, this is not an in, this is not a an inter or intra. I always forget the right term game. In, it's not an in-state game, but it's a it's a border game. And it's a really cool, somewhat contrived, but still somewhat naturally. You know, organic trophy like the Dakota Marker. It makes sense. Uh, I love what Jen Stiegelmeyer said about all this um, uh, rivalry about how you know we kind of needed each other when we went to uh, the FCS yep. together and all that kind of stuff. It's something we drum up every year. Um, I want to, with uh, the exception of the historically black colleges, I don't know how you could say that there's a better rivalry in FCS. Yes. What, what would it be? In FCS. Oh, yeah. I don't, yeah. know. I don't know. I would know. Uh, Montana, Montana State, maybe? Yeah, yeah, there's I a good think, one. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. they've both been pretty good for a while. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, but, but other, you know, yeah. it's right up there. But I, 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 would, I wouldn't dare compare. But um, 
we will get to the USD game and, the, and where the Coyotes go from here. And Coyote Eric had a lot of thoughts, which I always appreciate and like to, to bring to this podcast for the Oat fans that listen. I, I also decided today when I woke up to, uh, to on Twitter, at John Gaskins981, ask our loyal listeners, uh, hey, you got a question for us? Let's, let's do it. Let's do, the old, let's do the old mailbag trick. Let's hear from uh, listeners who uh, we apparently somebody is listening anyway. Some people actually do like. In fact, one guy said he loves, loves our podcast. And uh, they asked some pretty good questions. First of all, I, this was bombarded. I was uh, frankly surprised at the volume of questions that we got. And um, I guess I will get right to the rabbit hole question uh, at Run Rabbits One. And I kind of asked you this already. Uh, he's got first of all extra points for the uh, Matt Foley, uh, the Matt Foley gift from Saturday Night Live, Chris Farley. What do you make of NDSU media and fans claiming the underdog status? Is it just contrived bulletin board material, or is, it, is there some legitimacy to it? Sorry for the quotes. Uh, so. You've already, you've already made. We've already kind of talked about this. The, to be the, clear, the I don't feeling. think Mike is is posturing right. or trying to. Yeah. You know. That, yeah. What what I got what I got out of this question was, and this is not to detonate whoever uh, at Run Rabbits one is, or, or the intelligence of the question, but and that's kind of like saying no offense, but here's some offense. To think, I mean, it, there might be some media in. I think you get into college markets. Sports markets where the a college there is the biggest deal, certainly in the city, if not the state. Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Lincoln, Nebraska, mm-hmm. slash Omaha. Fargo, North Dakota, I guess, falls in that category as well. Mm-hmm. Are the biggest. Like, maybe there are fanboys in the media uh, who can rightfully be accused of that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, and, and I think most media will agree. All 40 guys who are beat writers for the Huskers, who I, you know, I used to know and like and have on my shows in Lincoln all the time, Life and business is better when the team you cover wins. It right. just is. Right. You'd rather have them win, and you'd rather you want to go cover championship games and right. go on the road. And, right. Right. Okay, so we're not, not going to say we're totally objective and impartial here, but to think that uh, Mike McFeely has any is, is, would would ever try to play any part in the Bison in, in getting the Bison in helping the Bison with bulletin board material. I think in like calling I hear what, the Jackrabbits the favorite. I hear what you're game. saying, and right, obviously Mike's not doing that. But I think, in fairness to the person asking the question, maybe more what the insinuation is that NDSU's coaches were trying to manipulate Mike a little oh, okay. bit, you know, yes. and, and maybe you know, because Matt Ants did come out and say, uh, "Hey, SDSU's the best team in the country. You know, they're better." Than we, and but he said it in a genuine way. It wasn't this blatant. You know, uh, playing possum sort of thing. It was like, look at their resume. They are playing better football than we are right now. If you just base that on the most recent game, that's unequivocally true. The Jacks just kicked the snot out of one of their rivals with a almost perfect football game. Take away special teams, I guess. Offense and defense, outstanding game. Whereas NDSU, Spencer Wagey told me yesterday, we felt like we lost. You know, we went back in the locker room after that game feeling like like we lost. So I think the assumption, the, what the insinuation there is more is like NDSU is trying to push that narrative and maybe that Mike fell for it more than that he, you know, has some sort of motive or whatever. I don't think either one of those things are true. I, I you know, I, I think Mike is a little bit um, maybe more down on NDSU than he should be, more up on SDSU than he should be, but I don't think he's, you know, playing games with anybody. Okay. And Matt's I don't think Matt Ants really is either. I mean, like I said, you could... No, Matt Ants. Now, let me say this, because as you were saying that, I was thinking back to these... I mean, this is a dominant program. 
anybody who is a coach, I'll say anybody who is a player, especially a coach who's been around for a while, anybody in the administration that has had anything to do with the success of NDSU football, um, and certainly the, the fans. They're called, fan is short for fanatic, they're called fans for a reason. There's every reason to be dickhead, like just puff your chest out dickheads about everything about your program because mm-hmm. it's been, it's now been like, it's been great for 20, well, I guess, I guess it started, really started rolling 13, 14 years ago. Well, I mean, they First, were damn good in Division two. Yeah, too. I mean, yeah, they if you want to go back, back that far, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jesus, they won like six or eight national titles yeah, in a yeah. 24-year stretch yeah, yeah. in the 60s and 90s. Uh, but anyway... But especially if you're a coach, I, I, I've, I've thought the last two coaches, I can't really speak to Craig Bull because I wasn't following it that closely, even though Bull was a former Nebraska defensive player. Well, he built it. He, yes. Um, but Enns and Climate have seemed like pretty good straight-up dudes. Like they could, even, even without trying, they could seem pompous and cocky about how great their operation is, and they don't. I mean, they seem like really likable guys. I like them both a lot. Yeah, yeah they don't They don't need to be, they don't need to, they don't have need to have any syndrome. Uh, but I do, I do think know. it's fair to wonder, and I want to make very, very clear, I'm just wondering out loud, I'm not making any accusations, Uh-oh. if maybe Matt Entz and the NDSU program, what, what Mike's talking about with the defense looking vulnerable and not looking so great lately, maybe this is where it starts to slip a little bit. You know, we've all kind of wondered, like, can this? How long can this go Jesus, on? It's you amazing know? that it keeps going yeah. on. And Climbing kept it going. You could maybe even make an argument that Climbing made it better, and he's now at Kansas State, doing very well for himself. Yep. I kind of thought maybe they would go outside the program to replace Climbing. They brought in Matt Entz, who so far has done a great job. But let's face it, I'm not trying to take anything away from Matt Entz, but you or I probably could have stepped in those first couple years and just kept the staff in place and said, okay, guys, keep doing what you're doing, and you're going to keep winning games. Now, how long before you start to see the impact of, okay, now this is this is Matt Entz's program now. He's no longer playing, coaching with Chris Kleiman's players. It's no longer, you know, the leftovers from the previous regime. This is him now. This is right around the time where if there was going to be a change, we would start to see it. Fourth year. I'm not saying that's happening. No. I like Matt Entz. I think he's a great coach yeah, yeah. and a good dude. I'm just saying it's fair to wonder, like, these next couple of years is where we're going to find out. Is it going to start to slip under him, or is he going to be the next Chris Kleiman who keeps the ship sailing exactly how it happens? It's a hell of a point because uh, I'll give you two classic examples of uh, blue bloods of sport, college sport. Nebraska's won. Tom Osborne retires. He was sixty and three his last five years. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that. This is as Taylor compared, DeBoer numbers. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> now, in, in USF's case, they went up to Division Two and they they hired from without outside of the program, and they you know to, to, to me, considering the move they made to Division Two, they pretty much kept things rolling pretty well. Um, but Osborne steps down, and in most situations, you have that kind of a, a superpower. You do. You, you, you do hand it off to yeah. someone who's been there for a while. That was Frank Solich at Nebraska, and when people go back to this Nebraska's problem with their fade into mediocrity into now futility uh, and dysfunction, you know, dysfunction is uh, it, it all started when they fired Frank Solich. That's partly true. It's partly not. If you were actually following the Huskers to your point that you just made, mm-hmm. the first four years under Frank Solich, uh, you know, they basically a, re, a nine and four rebuilding you. First four lost season in 30 years at Nebraska, but they won nine. Uh, second year, they they were good enough to win the national championship. Frank Solich's second year, uh, Nebraska had probably the best defense in the country. They went 12 and one, only lost to Texas. They fumbled five times in that game. Uh, they were good enough to play for the national championship at the least. So I mean, he kept it on that level. 
And then third and fourth years, they go 10-2 and two and 11-2. and two. Fourth year, they fraudulently play for the national title against 2001 Miami, which is one of the best college football teams ever. And they also lost at Colorado 62-36. But still, they won 11 games, top five team. But after that fourth year, it was starting to slip those last couple games of that fourth year. And then shit hit the fan. Everyone remembers Solich got fired after a 9-3 season, his sixth year. The year before that, they were 7-7. Seven and seven. Mm-hmm. Again, we're not predicting this to North Dakota State. Right. But to your point, uh, it's, it's, when you, it's when you're not any longer coaching with the legends players that were recruited. And it's not just because of Tom Osborne or because of Chris Kleiman. It's because of the program. I mean, the program becomes bigger than the coach. It was an, Nebraska was an easy train to hop on as a recruit from anywhere in the country back in 1998. Mm-hmm. Not as easy in 20, 2001, 2002 when the magic potion from that guy who turned out to be, you know, uh, like uh, an alien at what he was, at what he did. Yeah, okay, okay, Tom Osborne did make a difference. And so people go back to Solich and go, uh, he had, he had, no, he didn't keep it rolling. It was, it was declining. The other one I would say, Bill Guthridge, North Carolina. I'm going back to the same era, but Dean Smith, like 35 years, uh, top five program every year. North Carolina, Dean Dome. Uh, Bill Guthridge, the loyal assistant, who's like 65 years old, takes over. And he was a smart guy. He sat and waited for that to take over for Dean Smith for probably two decades. And he did, and he gave it four years. He made two Final Fours, and he goes, "I'm good. I, I'm, you know, I'm old. I'm, I'm just, I'm just guessing. I'm old. I'm tired of recruiting. I've, I've made my point. I can do this too. I got to do it. Mm-hmm. Two Final Fours. See ya." And then they, I mean, they immediately shit hit the fan right after that guy because underneath the surface, they were still doing okay with the Dean Smith era uh, hangover, and then. Once everything was gone, it started to show itself. It doesn't show itself immediately, usually. So, well, like I said, we're gonna find out in the next okay. year or two. Uh, all right, back to the uh, back to the Twitter questions. We'll get to the Yotes. Uh, let me see here, because uh, we had some good questions. Uh, this is kind of a this is a real Cap Cap and Jacks. I'm sure you hear from Cap and Jacks a lot. Will SDSU be able to continue its streak of keeping teams under 100 yards rushing? Of all the things to think and worry about this game. Well, that'll play heavily into what happens. Sure. I don't think they will. Okay. Um, that doesn't mean they're not going to win. Um, but keeping them under 100, the way their offense operates, if, well, let's put it this way. If they do keep the Bison under 100 yards rushing, they win the game. Uh, it's Thumper, at, at It's Thumper 76, definitely Brendan, says, does the SDSU secondary continue its streak of games with an interception? Probably. Okay. As good as that defense is at creating pressure and the fact that Cam Miller has been a – he's only thrown one so far, but that's partly because they don't throw the ball very much. I think he's averaging like 120 yards a game. Uh, Chad Myros. Uh, good old Chad. Okay. Old friend of mine. Uh, he tweets, who do you think will be players of the game for both teams, offense, defense, special teams? Uh, for the Jacks? Uh, let's put it. Let's say. Let's handle that question by saying if their teams win. If SDSU wins, I think the offensive player of the game is going to be Mark Gronowski. He's going to have to make plays. Not saying Isaiah Davis can't have a big game, but Mark Gronowski will need to make big plays for them to win the game. Uh, defensively, I mean Adam Bach is the best player in that defense, and usually right in the middle of everything. Um, so that's the easy answer. But to the earlier question, if there's an interception, if there's a big turnover, something like that, you know, that could play into it too. 
Um, Reese Winkleman had a great game last week at defensive end. He could be a factor. Special teams? <laughs> That's when that's arguably the biggest question mark for the Jacks right now. Hunter Dustman got off to a good start, but he's been pretty shaky lately. Um, I hope for the Jacks' sake it doesn't come down to the field goal game because that I don't know if that would bode terribly well for him right now. But then again, being indoors, maybe that's just what Hunter needs to to get his confidence back and get back on the horse. For NDSU, I mean, the easy answer is Hunter Lupke, the fullback. You know, the the Jim Kleinsaucer, Mike Allstott of this generation. I mean, but also, but again, you could you could look at it the same way as, as with SDSU. He's going to get his yards. He's going to do his thing. If they're going to need, if they're going to win, they need Cam Miller to, to step up and play a good game and make some plays. Thank you for the Jim Kleinsaucer reference. I uh, Jim, you know, what Jim Kleinsaucer always makes me think of a what a great name for a Minnesota Vikings tight end. B he was a spokesman for Sheboygan Farms hot dogs. Is there a better guy, is there a better name for and a better dude? Uh, <laughs> Right place, right time. He was a North for Dakota sh- guy. For UND. Hot UND. Dogs. Jim Kleinsaucer. NCC. Um, okay, another one from uh, it's at it's Thumper76. Do you think either team tries to open up the run game with a pass right away, or do both teams go straight to trying to establish the run immediately? That's a good question. I don't think NDSU tries to start things out by taking some shots with Cam Miller, but you never know, maybe. Uh, SDSU, I mean, they're they're just a little bit. Even when they're a great running team, they've never been a, you know, we're gonna force it, pound it, you know, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Especially when you got a quarterback for your offensive coordinator. So uh, hmm. I don't know. I mean, like I said, Mark Gronowski needs to have a big game. Um, I don't. I don't really think the Jacks are gonna come out and necessarily try and okay, we're gonna establish the run, but they have to establish the run if they're gonna win. We'll see. They like they like to run play action and. You know, I made mention of it on Twitter last week. Mark Gronowski is so good at play action. I mean, it's hard to follow the football. You watch the game on TV, watch how many times the cameraman loses track of the ball when hmm. Mark is running wow. play action. Wow, okay. Yeah. All right. So if you have a weapon like that, you use it. Interesting. Okay, well, and this leads me to, hey, at the very least, USD knows it can, it can close out a game by running the ball effectively and, and crushing SDSU, the team's will, SDSU, as they did against USD. Now, this is a different opponent. This is where uh, I'll take some time for the Coyotes and, and go back to that game and go, just, I, uh, I watched the first half at home, then I listened, then I listened to uh, both broadcasts, flipped back and forth as I was jogging in the second half, because I'm a, an old radio geek. Uh, I, I just, uh, it, it felt like after the first quarter, this was not this was not much of a game, and that USD wasn't even. I, I'm not going to accuse anybody of not trying to win, but it's, uh-huh. they weren't doing whatever it takes to try to. Not even say they weren't doing what it takes to win. They weren't. They didn't appear to be trying to do what it takes to win. And with Bob Nielsen calling the plays, that makes me wonder: as smart and accomplished of a guy as Bob Nielsen is, did he just see things where he was even down multiple touchdowns? At first, a touchdown, there, then you know, got to 11 points and 18 points, 25 points. That, that he must have not seen much there. That he felt the best way to get back into this game is to take a few risks to get points back in a yeah, hurry. I mean, even in the fourth quarter. Well, I mean, what's I, going I, I don't on? disagree with that. I'm sure you know. I a couple of my buddies who are USD fans were at the game, and you know, they were obviously not too pleased with that. But Bob said it in the post game when we called the pass play. If the first option wasn't there, which it usually wasn't, Carson didn't even have time for his second option. He was sacked by that time. 
They threw for 44 yards. Now, yeah, late in the game, it's fourth quarter, Jacks have a three, four-score lead, whatever. I'm kind of watching going like, are you are you just packing it in, I guess, at this yeah, point? Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, it's hard to blame them necessarily if they were. I mean, they got more football games to play. You know, They didn't want to get Carson Camp killed. I kind of thought maybe that would have been a good time to bring in Aiden Bauman, the uh, backup quarterback who transferred in from Iowa State. Because, um, yeah, Carson Camp was getting the shit beat out of him. And if that's kind of what you're worried about, or you just feel like the game is already lost anyway, yeah. then bring that guy in. See what he can do. Okay. The, now, what does this make you think of USD after seeing it up close? And, you know, SDSU being a measuring stick for them, and it did not. It just did not go well. I, I, it, it was a two-touchdown yep. spread, and I, I thought that was ridiculous. And now, I, obviously, once again, Vegas usually knows what they're talking about. Um, we, we, we keep saying they had this murderer's row. Uh, you know, one and four. Do you want another beer? Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, yep, both of us. One and four. Uh, they, they didn't win any game they weren't supposed to. They won the game they were supposed to. Mm-hmm. They, we thought before the season started, they're talented enough. They're good enough. Uh, they can still go six and five, and they're going to be allowed into the playoffs with that schedule at six and five. But now they have to, what, go five and one? Yeah. Can they? Do they? I mean, and even did, the, did this... the, the way that some of these last few games have gone, six and five still might not get them in. Okay. Um, does, does this change your perception of what they could be or what they a, are? A little bit. Um, I've kept them in my top twenty-five for much of the year, and I don't think I can say anymore with a straight face that they're one of the twenty-five best teams in the country after what they did on Saturday. Um, but you know, the Jacks are good. Their defense, in particular, is really good. So you have to give them some credit where it's due. Uh, the big thing is, I think, and you saw it written all over Bob Nielsen's face in the post-game press conference, it's not that they're one and four. Because, again, we all kind of expected them to be one and four. Yep. It's what is the, what is the state of this football team right now? Em- emotionally, mentally, physically, confidence-wise, you know, are they physically broken down? You know, yeah. what, reg- regardless of how many guys are actually injured and out of the game, are they just, you know beat up from from all this, these these games that could be part of it um, how how confident are they right now what, what's where's the what's 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 the morale right now um, what, yeah. what, where are they at emotionally because it's one thing to be one and four it's another thing to be one and four and the most recent of those games was this big rivalry game in-state rival where you just didn't even really compete at least I shouldn't say that if, if, if they'd have scored that first drive, you know, they had all the red zone three times, it could have been a different game. But the way the game ended is a better way to put it. Yeah. You know, not being able to, to muster any sort of comeback. Um, you just wonder, is this are all these losses, that difficult schedule at the beginning, just ultimately going to be too demoralizing for them, too much for them? And it's not like we didn't see this coming, or at least the potential for them. We've been saying since August, since before the season started, yeah. hey, USD's probably going to start 1-4. So what that means is Bob Nielsen has to find a way to keep morale up, to keep confidence up, to keep his team from packing it in if and when they do get to one and four. Well, one and four is here. Yeah. Now where do you go? It looks like a. I mean, it just looks like a pretty deflated one and four with the way that that game went on Saturday. Nothing, and it's you know credit to the Jacks the way they uh, the offense fifteen play drive, the way their defense played. A lot of that has to do with SDSU, but it's uh, USD looks like a, a weaker team than they did going into that game, and their chances of making the playoffs and making noise feel weaker. They they're at Illinois State, then next week they're home 
against Southern Illinois. After that, they go to Youngstown. Uh, and, you know, we speak... And then Missouri State oh. and North Dakota and Ooh. UNI. Uh, I mean, those are all losable games. They're all winnable games, too. Correct me if I'm wrong. It feels like it was 30 years ago that I woke up this morning, but uh, it was official today. Ted Schlafke, the former OC, is no longer with the program. Correct. This doesn't surprise anybody, and I don't think it surprises anybody listening to this podcast because a lot of people listen are are definitely uh, harder core fans of the average bear or the casual fan. Uh, how do we address the fact that we haven't addressed this? Because we're not going to address it. I think if you know by now, you know why Ted Schlafke's not no longer there. Therefore, you're not surprised he's no longer not only the OC, but n- no longer a part of the program. So I guess I'll just ask you the old blanket, what do you make of all this question? Um, that, that's got to play a part. I'm sure there are guys on that offense that liked him, and uh, he, had his, he had some success as their mm-hmm. offensive coordinator. Uh, over the years, so you don't just that. What, why ever the case it happened, it happened, and this affects human beings. And yeah, Bob Nielsen's a good head coach, and he's probably a very good play caller. Uh, but it's still a tough thing to adjust to while going through this gauntlet schedule. Yeah, and he's the quarterbacks coach. You know, it's not just calling the plays on Saturdays; it's all the stuff during the week. And I don't know how that affects them. I, I don't go to USD practices, so I don't see. Exactly what that means. I'm assuming it means Bob has to be a lot more hands-on during practice. You know that he's. I don't know if he's taken over as the quarterbacks coach. Then I, I assume. Um, I just. It's just a tough situation. I feel bad for Bob because I know how hard it was for him to make that decision. Him and Ted had a father-son type relationship, and I feel bad for Ted too. I mean, he didn't want that, and that's a tough thing to go through. And you know, I hope he finds a way to get back into it and and, and get his career going again. Another question uh, from uh, the, when we asked you on Twitter. Nobody's listening anyway. At John Gaskins nine eight one. Yeah, where do they go from where do they go from here after this happened? And is is actually this is from the Rabbit Holes from a Jackrabbit fan. Obviously, uh, is Bob Nielsen on the hot seat? I don't know. If anything, I would think that maybe this Schlafky thing, and, and Schlafky plus the schedule equals no matter how the Coyotes finish, it's not like Bob's not going to get another year. Uh, but this... I think I think his seat's a little warm. Okay. Um, you know, I don't think the schedule is his fault. You know, um, it, it's usually a collaborative effort putting the schedules together. Um, but you know, it's got a losing record. You know, and you can make an argument that they're losing ground to SDSU rather than gaining it. Um, I like Bob. I thought that was a great hire, and I have never not you know, stuck up for him and said, I think he's a good coach and, and hoped that he got it going and he has got it going at times. Um, and you know what it might be when you look at the facilities, you look at the attendance, we've talked about how the attendance isn't very good. When you look at the fact that they're in driving distance with three programs, four programs that are all better than they are right now, maybe this is their ceiling. Thank you. You know, maybe this is as good as it can be, you know, and maybe if they fire Bob, they bring someone else in and real and you know what we just talked yes. about. Maybe it'll be a G. I, that Bob Nielsen era doesn't look so bad now, making the playoffs every three years. You know, I don't know. Um, the F, we've talked about it ad nauseum. The Valley is North Dakota State and South Dakota State, and then the other yeah. eight teams all kind of take turns having their go at being the third or fourth best team. It's U and I for a while. It's Youngstown State for a while. It's USD for a while. It's Northern Iowa, Southern Illinois, you know, whatever. Um, maybe that's kind of, at least in the in the short term, just how it's going to be in this league. And if that's the case, I don't think 
I don't think Bob is crying out to be fired. You know, I don't think he's making these glaringly obvious mistakes where you go, this guy's got to go. You know, I don't look at it that way at all. Like Matt Rule with the Panthers? Yeah. Scott Frost in Nebraska? Yeah, yeah. So I don't think it's like, yeah, this guy's definitely got to go. But, I, you know, I know David Herbster really wants to win. And I know they really – it's not just trying to win. I think – and I could be wrong about this, and maybe I'll get some shit from USD folks for saying this, but I think that SDSU – really lives in their heads. It's not just about being competitive in the Valley, in the Summit. It's also about being as good as SDSU, as close to equal to them as possible. That's why they complain so much about media coverage. That's why there's so much of a, of a an attempt to bring the facilities up to snuff, all those sorts of things. Yeah. And that's what I you know, worry about, for lack of a better word, with Bob and, and anyone else in one of those programs is, you know, Todd Lee, the same kind of thing. Like, okay, you're doing well, but the school 100 miles up the road is still better than you, yeah. and you're trying to catch up to them. And it might come to a point where it's like, all right, you're not doing good enough, and you bring the next guy in, and are they ever going to catch him? I don't know. Yeah, it's it, it's always tough to figure out because usually, you know usually you know it after four or five years. I'll never forget interviewing a, a coach at Nebraska when I was in college in the, in the athletic department who said, if I don't get this done and you know, it was the same thing. They were at a certain level where they were kind of at a plateau. They were good, but they weren't going anywhere, so they hired this guy. And he said, if, 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 this, if I don't get – he actually said the words, if I don't get Nebraska women's basketball, women's basketball, to a Final Four in five years, because he had taken Western Kentucky to a Final Four. This is the guy before Amy, I think? This guy be- – oh, way before Amy. Uh, the guy before – the gal before Amy. Oh, that's right. I the, forgot. The guy yeah. before Connie Yori was Paul Sandiford. He had, he had actually been to a national title game at Western Kentucky in the 90s. And Nebraska hired him. He said, if I can't get Nebraska to the Final Four in five years, it ain't going to happen. And they fired him after five years. And, yeah. and by the way, he was getting tired of it. He was getting tired of trying it himself. Right, right. Bob Nielsen at USD, four and seven, eight and five, the Chris Streveler year, four and seven, five and seven, one and three, throw it out, pandemic in 2020, and seven and five. And now you're staring down the barrel of another 500 slash losing season. That would make it. Seven seasons, five of them losing records. I don't think they're going to finish the winning record this year. Yeah, that would be five out of seven years with a losing record. And at some point, Bill Parcells was right. You are what your record says you are. Uh, And it's harsh because we do think Bob's a good coach. It's a tough place to win. And by the way, I don't think it's unhealthy for USD to keep chasing SDSU. You kind of have to if you want to stay good. A, if you just want to stay good and somewhat relevant and, and ever get closer to a title, that's that's your gold standard, and it's it's a tough uh, life, but that's how you got to that's how you got to operate. You know, who do you go after if if you if you do whether you fire Bob after this? I think he's got one year left on his contract. Um, I don't know how that would play out if he went into his final year as a quote unquote lame duck coach or whatever. But yeah, I mean I don't know who do, who do you do you go after like a one of NDSU's coordinators or do you try to you know bring someone down from the FBS level? I mean they could have had Kalen DeBoer. But, you know, people say he he was – North Dakota could have had him too. North Dakota chose Bubba Schweiger over Kalen DeVore. Yeah. Um, But there's no guarantee Kalen would have done what he did at North Dakota, at South Dakota. Those are different situations, you know. Kalen is probably happy he didn't get those jobs because look where he is now. A few others. We're we're getting to the finish line here. Uh, But I do want to go through everybody's questions. At least if we're doing this once, we'll go through everybody's questions. Zim, what do you enjoy most about this week as a media member? Um, I like uh, kind of the same with the USD game, but this one too. Like, I like it. I, I enjoy interacting with 
the North Dakota side of it, their coaches, their fans, their media, you know, getting a chance to talk to one of their players yesterday. I love going to Fargo. It's a top-notch facility, organization. I mean, obviously they're a big-time program. I get treated so well there by their fans, their staff, really? their coaches, nice. um, and it, it goes both ways. And that's part of why this is a cool rivalry. You know, you heard both Stig and Matt Entz at their press conference this week make references to, like, we don't really like each other, and you could tell they didn't mean it. You know, you, uh, uh, I, you know, I think there's... What I've been told over the years is that the assistant coaches hate each other and the head coaches like each other. Okay. That makes some sense because the assistants are doing a lot of the recruiting and, and all that kind of stuff. But it sure seems like, from the outside, that there's a lot of healthy respect between Stig and Kleiman, Bowl, now Matt Entz. Yes. I certainly didn't get any sense from Matt Entz that he can't stand Stig or the Jacks or anything like that. If it's true, he does a good job of hiding it. Um, I don't think it's I, in Stig's DNA to, it just be, it to, to be like... All those motherfuckers. It isn't right, you know. but but my greater point is just I think there's good people on both sides of mm-hmm. this rivalry. Mm-hmm. I, I've never felt like someone at North Dakota State like, oh, what a bunch of jerks, or this is a dirty program, or anything like that. And you know, I know sometimes NDSU fans have lobbed those accusations at the Jacks for various reasons, and they're wrong, and that's fine. I mean, that's part of you know the fans are supposed to hate each other and, and whatnot. You know, Christian Roseboom twisted that guy's foot a couple years ago and they got all bent out of shape about it. Like, good, it's football. Shit like that happens. You know, I mean, I, I just think it's a really cool, <laughs> fun rivalry. And like I said, I think there's good people and good players on both sides. They're the two best programs in FCS football. The facilities, just the way their fan bases, you know, support their teams. They're both, you know, they're both the biggest show in town in their their neck of the woods. Yeah. So there's just a whole lot of things that, that kind of come together to make it Make it cool. And the game day atmosphere. When you mm-hmm. finally, because 90% of this is leads up to the game, yep. you know? Uh, it leads up and, and then yeah. you get there. And yeah, it's, and it's so loud. It's a different and, and feel. The, the excitement, the, the, there's there's a lot of tension. You can, when you're in yeah. the Fargo Dome, you can cut it with a knife, you know? Yeah. Were, were you at the spring game when the uh, one of the assistants broke the glass at the press press? No, box? I remember talking yeah. about it on this podcast, though. I mean, I mean that's yeah. the kind of shit you never forget. It's you fantastic. Know, that, that, that's, that's a, that'll go down in Absolutely. part of the legend of the rivalry. But I know? was at the 2016 game where I was, uh, I, was tail, I tailgated with some NDSU uh-huh. fans I that, that got us the tickets. And I was kind of, I just I just decided in that moment that day I was going to be an obnoxious Jackrabbit <laughs> in a section of mostly NDSU people, including... They're usually pretty good about including it, Including Trevor Gephardt mm-hmm. uh, and uh, his Carla Metz, his yep. wife, mm-hmm. uh, were sitting next to me. And in my own mind, I remember, I probably drank too much and I was probably obnoxious. And I actually, years later, just a year or two ago, I hadn't talked to Trevor since then. I covered him when he was a high schooler mm-hmm. here, so I mm-hmm. knew him. And... Uh, and, and he's like, and I, I told him I was kind of paranoid, and he's like, I, he's like, I don't even remember that. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> it's done. So my, I must have not been that bad. But gosh, it was so fun, and the mm-hmm. and the tension, the te- the whole game, mm-hmm. the tension of that game was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 I for, forgive me for bouncing. I, I want to get to Coyote Eric's thoughts going back to USD. He says what's frustrating frustrating right now, and actually I can tee you up with this. I can get you prepared for the next question because. Someone asked, "What's your favorite rivalry to cover?" So I'll just ask you that right now. Then I'll get to Kyle, Eric. This NDSU rivalry, this USD rivalry, or do you want to, um, you know, play it down the middle? And you well, like both for different NDSU's reasons. Is, the NDSU rivalry is more fun right now, just yeah. because of where those two programs yeah. are at. And I don't think I'm 
pissing anybody off. I would have predicted that answer. Um, The basketball rivalry is probably a little different. USD is the bigger rival on the basketball side of it, certainly on the the women's side. Yeah. But having said that, I have been beating this drum for a while. The SDSU-NDSU men's basketball rivalry is hella underrated. It is so good. It's always a close game. Yes, I love watching those two teams play. Uh, So... Coyote Eric says, uh, about the Coyote football team, what's most frustrating right now is watching USD offense be incapable of moving the ball. Saying that, we all know the schedule's been brutal. We also know, as Zimmer noted last week, the SDSU defense is excellent. Carson Camp looked awful on Saturday, but was anyone even open? You've made that point. Uh, it's easy to blame the quarterback, but I also don't remember the receivers creating a whole lot of separation. On the opening drive... And then he was sacked as soon as he had to look for his second option, yeah. On the opening drive, they have a TD if Camp doesn't throw behind the wide receiver. First interception may have gotten knocked down by the wind. You can't underthrow the ball. The interception in the end zone after the muffed punt was putrid. The one thing you cannot do there is just wing it out there Which to the exactly inside shoulder. The most frustrating part has to be that they came out of a bye week and didn't look better organized. They didn't appear to have anything schemed up to get guys open. They were constantly uh, late getting out of the huddle and snapping the ball with the second on the play clock. It was such a dysfunctional mess, and they do not look well-coached right now. Maybe that's just the effect of playing an elite team in the FCS, but my God, what a hot mess. If things continue to look like this, I have serious questions about Bob's future. That is... That's it. There it is. I said it, says Coyote Eric. I don't... This is Coyote Eric, not me, John Gaskins. I don't want it to be true because I have... Uh, I fear having a career coach who has won everywhere, flame out in Vermillion, isn't going to help find uh, the best and brightest when looking for the next coach. That's a good point. But the whole offense needs a reboot in the offseason, and it continues to look this shitty. Shitty is the word he used. Uh, good real stuff from Coyote Eric kind of plays to some of the things we were saying, but in an even brighter light. And I, 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 to me at this point, I gotta, I gotta say this, this Schlafky thing, Schlafky to Bob Nielsen to, uh, that's that's a well. He made a point the that schedule's I, tough enough, and now it's it, on the field. It's obviously mm-hmm. looking like it's kind of like Scott Frost at Nebraska. Sorry to interrupt you, and I'm not, you're, if if your head if if your head coach or one of your major coaches. Uh, if something's awry in however that person is operating, at least when you play tougher teams to play, it usually shows up on Saturday. Uh-huh. I mean, and when you have we have these tough of games, these stiff of tests, and forget about how and why you got there. Your offensive coordinator is ousted early, is ousted during that stretch, and somebody else, in this case the head coach, has to take over the offense at some point. That's going to that's gonna have an effect. I don't know. I mean, they look good against Cal Poly. Obviously, huh? that was not a very good team. But then they look good in the first half against the Bison, too. So, okay. I don't know. It's funny. The point Eric made that I was thinking about, too, is one of the reasons I was hesitant to predict a Jackrabbit blowout that I was giving USD so much benefit of the doubt going into the game was the bye week factor that they had a whole extra week to prepare for it, you know. And Bob's an offensive technician, you know. And John Stiglmeyer talked about that. Yeah, he's like, "Hey, Bob's got a whole extra week to look at our defense and come up with something." Yeah, that I remember thinking, like, "Man, if I was a Jacks fan, that'd make me a little nervous." And as Eric said, it it it, it did not show up in the game on Saturday. Right. Well, I said last week, I said I actually think maybe having uh, Nielsen calling your offense is better for you. 
not only because of the situation they're in, but because uh, you know you don't you don't get to where Bob Nielsen's gotten in life, win a national title at Duluth, and turn around Western Illinois without having some acumen, and that's his side of the ball. But it just uh, and again, that's why I don't think any of this is what happened Saturday including the kind of playing possum, let's just get the hell out of here, yeah. uh, is because Bob doesn't know what he's doing. It's Bob really knows what he's doing, so a lot of things must be just really dysfunctional. Let's go right back to it. All right, last one. Uh, Chad asks, if you were able to go back and change your profession to anything you want and be successful, what would you be doing instead and why? And it can't just be for the money. Like, you can't just choose to be the founder of Amazon in this scenario. Okay. That, boy, that's a loaded question. It's a great question, Chad. You get well, to be I, Matt and I's age in our early 40s, we start to think about these things. Well, obviously, I wanted to be a baseball player. That was, you know, and I spent most of my probably preteen, teenage years absolutely believing that was going to happen. I was probably 16 or 17 when it finally dawned on me, like, oh, like, I'm not being recruited. You know, like, no one's, uh, I'm five foot nine, you know, like, maybe this is going to happen. I went through these same things as a competitive golfer. Yeah. Same yeah. things. And, uh, and then it was kind of like, okay, well, I can't play sports for a living. I guess I'll write about it for a living. That's what I got to. Yeah. Um, man, if I couldn't, if I wasn't doing this, I mean, if he's asking, like, if I could just do anything and not, like, yeah, be a baseball player or, you know be a guitar player in a rock band or something that sounds fun but it, as far as like things I'm capable of doing you know or something like that like if I, I I could never I don't think I could ever be a sit in the office from 8 to 5 for 40 hours oh. a week guy I just don't think I could do it and that's part of why I've stuck it out in this business despite all the difficulties and all the uncertainty yeah is because I think of like well what would I do if I quit if yep. I, you know it's just, I could you know I'd probably be doing like some sort of kind of manual labor. I'd probably be a construction worker or a farmer wow. or a you know a, a hunting guide or something. Because some, you can't stand the office. Yeah, I'd have to do something that you know. It's funny. I never ever really wanted to be a football coach. I kind of wanted to be a baseball coach a little bit, but then when I started covering football and getting diving into the X's and O's and seeing behind the scenes how coaches operate and how they recruit, how they talk to kids, how they game plan, how they talk to people like me. Um, in hindsight, that looks like, I kind of think like, man, I wonder if I could have done that. Like I, I would have been, I, I, you know, I, I barely played football in high school. I played, but I was on the bench all the time. I kind of sometimes wish that as a, as a high school football player, when I recognized that I wasn't very good, that I had taken more interest in the X's and O's side of it and maybe got into coaching. Hmm. But then again, coaching is almost like journalism in that not that it's dying but that it's kind of thing you go is that what anyone wants to do these days especially youth coaching I mean with parents and officials and social media and I mean high school high school coaches and officials are dropping like flies because it's such a toxic environment yeah. these days you know yeah I had a, yeah. my cousin a few years ago I mean, he's in his 30s now but when this he was is Kim Nelson's son Joey no different cousin okay because uh, yeah Joey got into coaching but a cousin on my other side, my dad's side, he's in his 30s now. But when he was in college, I remember him asking me, like, about, you know, I was working at the Argus and had, had played sports and coached some sports. And he was like, I think I want to be either a, a journalist or a, or a coach. And I was like, don't do either one. <laughs> I was like, I hate to give you, you know, bad advice or shit on your dreams or whatever. But I was like, those are both not the awesomest 
things to get into right now. And, and he was kind of like, oh, and guess what? He ended up doing something else. And he makes a lot more money than me. So you're welcome, Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have a buddy who's a realtor, and he works 10 hours a week. I don't know if it's the case now with the way the housing market is now, but... Uh, Seriously, I have a buddy who's a realtor, works 10 hours a week, makes six figures, mm-hmm. golfs a lot, golfs during the week, goes to his lake house uh, on the right. weekends. That sounds like an all that right life right. to me. Yeah. And uh, that's that's where I'll, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. We're, we want to be different. We want to be different things at different times in our life and different things uh, mean different things to us at different times in our life. Yeah, so, it's funny. I, the other night, uh, Jen and I were watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off and uh, there's the scene where Ferris is on the float performing. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And, but then the, the, it cuts away from Ferris and Cameron, his friend, and what Sloan, his girlfriend, yeah. are kind of walking around while Ferris is, uh, yes. is on the, yeah, this is great. and they're talking about their future yes. and, uh, I don't know, and, and Sloan says to Cameron, what are you interested in? And he goes, nothing. <laughs> and she goes, me either. And, you know, I first saw that movie when I was seven. Yep. And I've watched it a hundred times since then. And that scene hit me harder at age 42 than I think it ever did. And just kind of going like, yeah, like, why would, you know, yeah. I have the coolest job ever. I get to watch football games for a yeah. living. Like, yeah. what if I didn't? And then yeah. what are you going to do? Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. what are you interested in? Outside of watching football games for a living? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Not a goddamn thing. Yeah. I mean, like, for me... Boy, I, I, I'd really love to host a daily sports talk radio show. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, no, I. <laughs> the desire's not that high. Post. I, I, it would take a. This question for me is better to add, uh, answer to a therapist than on our podcast, and we're out of time anyway. Uh, but I'll say this: um, is I, I've discovered on the other side of. Uh, having a job I really enjoyed and always wanted to do, which was be on the radio and talk for three hours a day. Uh, and I still get to do what, I, what I've always wanted to do most, which is called ball games. I still get to do that on Friday nights uh, for high school football and then three nights a week for high school basketball. Uh, I don't remember who I was telling this the other day, but yeah, when I was, I'll put it this way. This, this isn't necessarily answer, because the question is about what profession you would be in. But when I was in college, when I, was, when I had gotten past the I'm not going to be a pro golfer thing, uh, the, uh, you know, I, I wanted to be the next Al Michaels or, you know, calling Monday night football games, something like that. Uh, when you get to be 43 and you're not doing that, um, I want to go to Italy. <laughs> you know, I, like, I just, I just want to, I just want to, to, to your point, the, the, you, you mentioned Ferris Bueller's Day Off, similar line from Office Space. Where if you, you know, if you just won the lottery or if you just had all the money, you know, what, what would you do? I would do nothing. Nothing! Yeah. And yeah. nothing doesn't mean literally nothing. Right. I don't want to sit my ass on the couch all day at eh, home. I think that's what Peter Gibbons meant. He, he did, and he did And that. I'm not so sure I'm not with him on that one. Well, that's the, that's the beauty of losing the job that I lost a couple years ago, my career job, my day-to-day job, was I did get to do that for a while. It was great. Um, but, like, it, like... I don't know about you, the you know. I mean, we're still we got we're, we should be considering in the prime of our lives. We got 20 years behind us uh, on the average American, 20 more years, and we retire sometime in our 60s. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> 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 okay, so let's just play fairy tales here and be hypothetical. Like I, I yeah, it, it 
profession and work is not as motivating to me as just, yeah, enjoying things. Like, I'll say this, I think more about retirement and when I'm going to retire or what I'm going to do when I retire, if I retire ever, than I do about what profession would I like to be in. I don't give a shit, like, what could I be doing with my free time is what, you know, is what I like to think about. I don't know about you, but, and having more free time is very valuable the older you get. Yeah. Okay. I, <laughs> I don't know. What? No, I just, you know, I I was just thinking the other day about how, you know, I mean, who, who, how many, we're probably going to get to retire. Yes. People 20 years younger than us, are they? I don't know. I and feel I, bad for yeah, them. Yeah, I feel terrible for them. Yeah. Know? And they can't even buy a house, you know? I mean, it's... Right. And I, it, I, I just look back at how, how much easier, for lack of a better word, things were in the 80s and 90s and even early 2000s and just kind of feel happy that I got to experience that yes you know because a lot of these other people didn't oh, and uh, yeah. you know I've got to do this cool job for the last almost 20 years and it's been fun as hell I haven't made any money doing it but it's been fun and, same here you know I'm gonna do it as long as I can I hope and yep. I don't know my you know my my family has a cabin up north Maybe I'll uh, volunteer to live there and make sure the lights are on and the water's running. Tough job. While my dad pays the bills. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, put it, uh, I'll finish it this uh, way. Uh, the, for me, my life and my professions, and, and, and now instead of having one central job working for one company 40 plus hours a week, I, I've got a little of this, I got a little of that. I get, for the most part, I get Thursdays off, and I did this with you, and then I'm gonna, and I'm late, of course I'm late, because I was late for this, and now I'm late to go meet your yeah, I told Jen I'd be home at 2.30. I'm, I'm late to, it's three, I'm, and that's when I'm supposed to be meeting my other friend, uh, John, for drinks downtown on a Thursday. Not, 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 not a bad lot in life to be today, so I guess we'll end it at that. Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. Fuck you. Because <laughs> you know how round drinks? Yes. <laughs> <laughs>